listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3 Triple R. Hello. Hello. Hello to you. <laughs> You're listening to the Breakfasters podcast for the week, the 11th of Feb to the 15th of Feb. Uh, this week, I met Lauren Hill. The end. Thanks That's for it. coming. That's it. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Uh, and also we were joined by Diana Glenn to talk, talk about the MTC play Arbus and West. Uh, we also had a chat about the raw comedy um, heat that I hosted over the weekend and I went to the bird show at Hillsville. Mm. And we talked. <laughs> mm. It's been a long week. It has. Uh, we met Adrian Dyer from RMIT who told us about Amazing new research into bees about how they can do maths and they can They're add things smart. up and do all sorts of stuff. And then Toby Halligan told us the, um, the story about Jeff Bezos from Amazon and a story that just has absolutely everything in it. Lots of twists and turns. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. You're listening to Breakfasters. Uh, yesterday I... Um, co-hosted Rural Comedy. It's back. Cool. Yeah. Where's it happen? Uh, Various different places around, but a lot of the heats are at the Evelyn. And this is the early stages of competition. The raw stages, Mm. you might say. The raw of the rural. Uh, So it's like they have these super heats, uh, which happens like on a, you know, Saturday or Sunday afternoon. So they start at like one o'clock and go for a couple of hours. So... The initial lineup we had was they had thirty people on the list. Whoa! And then so they do them. You so know, how long? Is, how long does each one get? Yeah, five minutes. Five minutes. <laughs> five minutes is a long time yeah. when yeah. you're just starting out. Oh mate, it's yeah, it's really long. And also, but sometimes long enough. There was one <laughs> one person that was on that was so funny. Like it got to the. <laughs> Got to the five minutes because they get a light at like five or well, four minutes thirty. They get it so they know to wrap it up, and at five minutes light stays on. And then like at five minutes ten seconds, they just play music. Oh, it's like the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're and like, a big hook off comes out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, and then we run up and spear tackle them, and then <laughs> off they go. Um, but they, uh, there was one. She was just like, she goes, "Oh, there's the light." But when I recorded this at home, it took three minutes. This whole routine because people forget when they're if they're at home talking in front of a mirror, they forget audience interaction. There's no pause. You've got to pause for laughter. But then it's tricky to know... How much laughter to pause for. (laughs) Maybe at home you're pausing for tumultuous laughter. Yes, yes. (laughs) Um, But gosh, there was some ranges of talent. So how, how many people just turned up with nothing prepared like were there people who just sort of like you know their friends say oh you're really funny just get up and do something uh yeah there's a few apparently there was a, um someone who yeah just thought that that's what comedians do this is at a different heat but he was like he didn't realize that comedians write stuff Oh. So, oh really? It was just like oh, I just thought you got up and get up and riff. Le- yeah, bit of a learning curve. Yeah. What's the what's the hit rate when you're going? Say out of ten people, how many? One. Okay. <laughs> oh, jeez. That, that's, yeah, that's good. good. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. There's not many. Oh, but that's the thing. I can. I always look for potential. Right. So they're not there yet, but I go, no, you've got funny bones. I like you. So it's just, yeah, I can see there's potential there. But people, yeah, it's they need to figure out that they need to do a bit of work to get there. And a lot of the time, I love watching Raw because, A, you get to see brand new talent and it's fun and exciting to go, oh, my God, that's so funny and some great jokes and stuff. And then the complete polar opposite of that, where you see the worst and you go, oh, my God, that's, mate, suck it. Especially when it's, like, some kind of guy which normally all their friends are like, oh, mate, you're so funny, and then they get taken down a peg or two. Like, I I adore watching that. I could imagine. (laughs) And then – but then most of it is just ramble. Like, it's it's kind of – Oh, I forgot how boring this is sometimes. Really? Yeah. Just because people are just saying, like, telling yeah, bad just, stories. They've got, yeah, they'll have, like, this one story, but it's like, oh, you've told this a million times and even you're bored by it. Yeah, oh, right. Why are you telling me? So when, when that's happening, like, is the audience just silent or oh, are they no, getting the into audience, it or...? The audience is at, at Royal usually very, very supportive because they'll have, you know, their friends are up on stage yeah. and, and stuff. It'd be really mean to go to something like Raw and be... <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. That's not funny yeah. at all. Do better. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's the kind of... Yeah, so we... And we encourage everyone to be encouraging to everybody. Yeah, yeah right. That's up on stage. How many... Um, you know, like you've done it for so long now. How mm. from the ones you remember? How many famous people have gone on to be famous? And are there ones that you thought were going to be, or ones that you thought were terrible that have also gone on to be, like have careers? Well, I'm not going to say the terrible ones that have gone on to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't name. You know what I mean? Like you look at them, and think. Do you know, it's amazing. There's so many people that have done raw. There's um, that have come through raw, and some of them have done very well and have achieved been fine with their comedy me for example i've done all right with comedy and i because i was runner-up when i did it in the national finals not bragging i am um and then but then there was people like tommy little didn't make it through to the to the finals yeah and also the same year that i did it i was competing against charlie pickering jeez Mm, and he didn't so there's so many people like tim Minchin didn't get through there's a lot of massive names that didn't get that. Like the year that Tommy Little did it, um, there's a, the guy that won. His name's Neil, and he lives in lives in London now. But I think it's actually in France at that at that clown school oh, in cool, France. Yeah. So Tommy was like, I got beaten by a bloody clown. <laughs> <laughs> but it was. But not, you get a lot of people that get up there. Um, and it's they're fading those kind of douchebag guys. They are just kind You're of getting less and less of that. Yeah, yeah, right. So, man, they talk about sex a lot. Just sex and their dicks. It's all they ever talk about. But isn't that like having like an insight into being in their friendship circle on the weekend? Oh my god! Yeah. Yes. Like, what, what are you guys discussing? You know, when some of you tune into a group of dudes sitting behind you at the pub, you go, know, "I'm just sex and dicks." All right. Yes. Yep. Oh man, unbelievable <laughs> and. Because the, the last guy that was on, because there, there was a couple that were like, oh, and Celia kind of went on after one, because basically most of the time we're sitting at the front of the stage with the microphone just going, give it up for just back announcing everybody. Um, but if there were some times where you, you need to go up on stage and kind of change the mood a bit or kind of, you know. 
diffuse things and whatnot. So <laughs> diffuse things. <laughs> Oh, you know, it's it's just a subtle little, oh, just, you know, reset. Yeah. Um, and Celia gone on after one guy who was, you know, it was his first ever time and he was lovely and we had a chat to him afterwards. But, man, the material that he was doing, he was like, oh, mate, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and Celia was like, <laughs> she's like, oh, it's just, I wasn't mean to him, was I? I'm like, no, absolutely not. They need to be told. They need to be told. But it's better to learn as well early and then go, yes. oh, cool. Okay, there's something to think was, about. Was yes. he getting laughs for it or was it just going nowhere? No, he was getting laughs because people could see that, you know, oh, there's one of those, you know, you've got funny bones and the ways, and also people, you know, are just encouraging. They're yeah, just yeah. like, oh, come on, keep going. Ha 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 ha. Um, but the, oh man, the last guy that got on was just next level of like wrong stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so <laughs> disrespectful to women, like talking about um, just rude stuff about women's parts and, and whatnot. And it was just, Awful. Did the audience respond? Yeah. They went, nah, not oh, into this. I like it when you, you mm. go, the audience has got the right. Oh, you, yeah, you're like, yeah. Oh, you, you know. Yeah, they don't, you know, they're encouraging to a point, you know. They yeah. go, but as soon as it, anything's kind of mildly offensive, they're like, nah, mate. That's- it's kind of funny that he's the last one, which means he's sat through everything else. Yes. And, and you not, think he'd yeah. learn. Yeah. You think he'd pick up on something. Yeah. Seeing what's worked and what hasn't worked. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, I'm going to go for it. Yeah. He had his thing and he, I'm sure, but that's the thing, I'm sure amongst his friends, that's he probably has not been told yet yeah, that right. how offensive his material is. Um, so, yeah, because his friends would have been like, oh, man, that's so funny, like, you're great and blah, blah, blah. And up until now, no one had the courage to say anything to him. But then um, I had to go on after him because he was the last act. <laughs> <gasps> and then, <laughs> Did you do a bit? Oh, mate, I... I tore him a new one. Did you really? Yeah, absolutely. Because I was there side stage with you. Oh, and you have so look much at... power. Yeah, I I'm know. I'm jealous of the power. Yeah, he forgets that, you know. Because <laughs> uh, I'm standing there with Celia <laughs> I'm just like, and we're looking at each other going, oh, my God, you just can't pick him. He seems so nice. And then he just gets up. And then, like, I was, like, stretching. I'm like, oh, mate, this is – I'm going to have it. And then, like, he finished um, and then I get back – I had to go on after him, and then the judge. Apparently, the judges when they were walking out, just as they walked out, they were like, "Oh, Jess is about to <laughs> take off." <laughs> and I did. I just got up and I, I went, "Oh, Alex!" <laughs> like normally, I go, "Give it up for you yeah. know so and so," and I go, "You know," just said said the name, um, and then. <laughs> And then I just went, yeah, it's hard doing comedy in the post-Me Too era, isn't it? <laughs> and I went, oh, mate. And then just went bang, bang, bang and then told him to, I'm like, I hope you've learned to, and judges have gone to deliberate now, but I don't reckon your chances are <laughs> oh, mate. any good. That is so good. But it, but it was, you know, yes, it was mean, but also it needed to be said. Yeah. Needed to yeah. be called Also, how is also going to learn? And yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And also the amount of women that came up to me afterwards, there was a few that came up to me afterwards and were Isn't like... Isn't that a difference? Yes. And they were like, thank you so yeah. much for doing that because it was weird. You know, we had such a great... It was, you know, a fun afternoon. And then that happened. It was just this awkward kind of weird yuck. And, yeah. I, and then you made it 
better. And I went, yep, yeah, thank you. Go Jez. And then I made Celia walk me home so in case the guy was hiding around the corner. Three, triple, R. The opposition has a point of order. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Madam Speaker. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Madam Speaker. The level of interjections is far too high. Order. Order. Cheers. Order, order. It's time to talk politics here on Breakfasters with Toby Halligan. How are you going, Toby? I'm extremely good, team. How are you? Very well. Delightful. Um, uh, very, very delightful. So there is... Look, this story was just absolutely impossible to go past. Um, uh, a lot of people uh, listening may have heard the, the saga involving the owner of Amazon, Jeff Bezos going head-to-head with the National Enquirer. The National Enquirer, if you don't know, is a newspaper that's previously had headlines like Hidden Horrors, When Jesus Was a Vampire and Prince Charles Fears He's Becoming a Werewolf. I know. I actually Ah. want to know more about both of them. They're great. Um, (laughs) It's basically kind of widely regarded as, um, look, it's a scandal. It's a tabloid. It's the tabloid's tabloid, if you like. It will... You know, often break the most scandalous stories, often totally absurd, obvious BS, but it also has broken some really important stories. Um, like, for example, in the 80s, it broke the story of Gary Hart, a Democratic congressman, having an affair with um, a staffer that actually completely changed American culture in oh. quite profound ways. And it's broken stories about John Edwards, OJ Simpson, that proved to be true, where they're ahead of the game. So the Inquirer is, it is a bit of a sleaze sheet, if you like, but it has played an important role in American politics at different time. Um, So what's happened over the last... This story is dense, but it's amazing. So um, uh, uh, Bezos, um, who's worth about $130 billion, owns the Washington Post, right? Park that detail there just for a second. It'll become important soon. It turns out um, uh, the National Enquirer broke a story a few weeks ago suggesting that his marriage was on the rocks and that he was having an affair, and it turns out that that is actually true. Um, Bezos was photographed at the Golden Globes with a helicopter pilot uh, that he knows and has come out and acknowledged that he is, in fact, um, having... Her name's Lauren Sanchez, having an affair with her. So not trying to hide it. Well... He's come out in this blog post and the reason he has done that is because when the Inquirer broke the story about the affair, Bezos, who has $130 billion, hired some top-level private investigators, has in like ex-CIA private investigators, Mm. to find out how the National Enquirer acquired this information. The National Enquirer then writes to Bezos saying, hey, okay, we know you're looking into how we got this stuff. We've got more stuff, including (gasps) dick pics of you that you took, pictures of you naked that you took, and we'll publish them if you keep going after us. And Bezos... And and I think, like, whatever you think of Amazon, whatever you think of super wealthy people, whatever you think of his politics, respect for doing this goes on Medium, the, the blog site, and tells everyone this is exactly what's happened and admits admits the affair, admits these pictures exist and publishes... Ooh, takes the power away. Absolutely, publishes the emails and, um, and calls them out on it, basically. And this mm. is childish of me, but we should mention the <coughs> name of the owner of the inquiry. Pecker. 
Yeah, Pekka. Ah. Now, now, part of this context to, to unpack kind of why Well, there you go. Absolutely, absolutely perfect. So th- th- there's a bit more to unpack here because, as I was saying before, Pekka has previously in the National Enquirer are very close to Donald Trump. In 2015, the National Enquirer bought the story of Stormy Daniels and probably of other porn stars who had had affairs with Donald Trump and killed them. So... This is called Catching and Killing, where a media entity on behalf of a patron basically tracks down a scandalous story, buys the rights to it or the pictures or the vision or whatever, and doesn't publish it, right? We know that because the National Enquirer and Trump's campaign potentially breached campaign finance laws in doing that, and so the National Enquirer, as part of a deal with prosecutors, admitted it had done all this. The reason this becomes important is because in potentially engaging in blackmail and extortion with Jeff Bezos, the National Enquirer may well have breached their agreement with these prosecutors. So all of a sudden, this newspaper that has substantial connections to Donald Trump and has for a very, very long time may well have a bunch of other dirt on Donald Trump in different kinds of ways, may be exposed to prosecution for both the extortion, because it was almost certainly a crime what they did, demanding this of Bezos, but it might also have breached their previous agreements that meant they weren't prosecuted for effectively, you know, this was effectively political funds that we used for this. The other salacious element to all of this is that Saudi Arabia is probably involved. The reason being, you remember the thing I was talking about at the beginning, Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post, yeah? You might remember the Washington Post had a writer, Khashoggi, who was murdered in the Turkish embassy by the Saudi Arabian government. The Washington Post has been campaigning on that for months, understandably. The Washington Post is also a prominent opponent, as Trump sees it, of Donald Trump. And so the suggestion is, and this is one that Bezos has made explicitly, is that Saudi Arabian intelligence may have been involved in hacking the phone of his lover to acquire this material to embarrass him, to stop his newspaper from campaigning on behalf of their murdered journalist. Oh my God, that is horrifying. What a weird, like, horrible, yes. messly, like, just... But this, this is, is, like this a, is a story that just brings in almost every news item that's been around for the last six years. It belongs to the front yeah. page of the National Enquirer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, really, it really does. So, wow. so there's so many things to unpack here. Firstly, there's, uh, uh, like, in terms of what happens next, Bezos is unquestionably one of the most powerful people in the world in mm-hmm. terms of financial resources. He could buy AMI, American um, Media Inc., um, like that. Uh, you know, easily has enough money to do that. Um, he could also completely ruin them, and that's not unheard of. Peter Thiel, who is a prominent, um, uh, another American billionaire, destroyed Gorka after Gorka outed him as being gay in 2005. Thiel basically funded multiple lawsuits against Gorka when they right. released sex tapes involving Hulk Hogan. God, like these sentences I'm saying, <laughs> like it feels such like a strange world we're it in. It feels like I'm high, but like all of these are written down notes. That, like there's Wikipedia, there's references all over here, right? So the first thing is um, uh, Bezos could take down potentially AMI, and if. If that happens, there is a good chance there will be other dirt involving Donald Trump and the Saudis that will emerge. And those associations 
could, I mean, whether it'll be more damaging to Trump than everything that has already emerged just through what he says on a daily basis, et cetera, is an open question. But it does also kind of beg, it, it, it raises, I think, number two, like a really interesting question about media ethics and how media conducts itself and media entities behaving uh, in certain ways in lieu or in line with the demands of their patrons. And in Australia, you know, a country where, you know, the Murdoch Empire owns a very substantial amount of the media, um, I think that's kind of an open and an interesting question because I think this is an unusually explicit example, basically, where the owner of a newspaper has effectively, is quite openly being a political agent for... Um, you know, a prominent politician. Um, thirdly, the Saudi Arabia angle, I think, will be particularly interesting because if it turns out that Saudi Arabia has been hacking, you know, one of them, uh, the world's richest men uh, and his phone, um, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. I don't know what that means or what could possibly happen there. But you can just see you've got, you know, two incredibly wealthy groups there. Mm. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, should also say the other weird connection in this story was that the journalist who um, emailed the threats to Bezos came from Melbourne, was a sports reporter at Channel 7 in Melbourne in 2004 um, and had been at RMIT. <coughs> so, oh, really? There you go. Well, uh, well, that's, you know, making headlines. Yeah. <laughs> hey, they're breaking nice through, cutting, cutting through. Yeah, I mean... So is the implication, sorry, that Saudi Arabia and Trump have colluded... On this? So, uh, effectively, w- whether it's active collusion or implicit collusion. Okay. So, basically, the Saudis want to take down the Washington Post, so does Trump. Um, yeah, right. Or they want to at least bully Bezos into forcing the Washington Post to take a soft editorial line. In Trump's case, that's ridiculous because, basically, the Washington Post isn't actually that much out of line with most, not even progressive media, most centrist media. Yeah, right. And th- the Washington Post's coverage of him has been relatively balanced. With the Saudis, it's per- Personal because they murdered one of, you know, Washington Post's editors. Yeah. And there's no real railway on there. There's no way kind of around that. I think it begs interesting questions about what incredibly financially powerful people can do and how they can shape media, though. Um, do, do you think there will be implications for ordinary people who are caught up in, you know, sex revenge blackmail of this kind? Most people don't have $136 billion, but, you know, people who are mm. being pressured by a, a sex gone astray or whatever. I would not be at all surprised if there was, certainly in America it may. If, I mean, the reality is, yeah, the, the fundamental problem with actually pursuing relief in these kinds of cases is it costs a huge amount of money. Like, unless someone's clearly committed a crime and prosecutors are willing to prosecute them for it, then it's hard to actually stop people publishing this kind of stuff mm. or sue people in a civil suit. Um, someone like Bezos can do that and I reckon he'll pursue it. And so hopefully one of the things that may come out of it is that, you know, publishing dick pics, it may lead to, who knows, it may lead to a Supreme Court decision regarding privacy or something along those kinds of lines. It's interesting that he wasn't concerned about the embarrassment because that's the thing that stops people going public, isn't it? If you go public in these things, your embarrassing sex will be made available. And he just said, oh, well. Yeah, yeah. And actually detailed what they were. I mean, again, yeah, I guess it shows as well when you're insulated from, say, being fired from your job or what other people think of you Mm. by having $130 billion. It's like, well... There's nothing to be embarrassed about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, also like 70% of people 
people have taken pictures of their genitals, I think, or something like that. That's a, that's probably a made-up stat, but also... Good stat, stat <laughs> It's said very it's authoritative. Almost <laughs> certain. I'm just going oh, based oh. on my experience as a grinder. <laughs> what people sent me on Grinder. I haven't, for the record. I haven't. Been. I'm no Jeff Bezos. Anyway, that's that's the wrap. Uh, one, one of the weirdest stories in the world ever. On uh, that note, fascinating as always. Toby Halligan, see you again thanks soon. Thanks, guys. 3 R. I went out to Healesville Sanctuary yesterday. Ah, speaking of nature. Cool. Mm. I haven't been there for years. Mate, I've never been before. Really? Yeah, oh, I know. That me. really surprises it me. It surprises me. For an animal lover. Yes. Because I just, you know, I'll go to Melbourne or I'll go to Werribee and then I just didn't, you know, anyway, made the trek out with... um. Actually, two of our Friday funny buggers, both Nat and and Laura, we all went out together. Yes, just for a bit of fun. Um, I went out there because I knew that they have the uh, the bird show or yes. Spirits of the Sky. Is that actually what it's called? Yes. Huh. I know. That's cool. Yeah, I'm a big fan of a bird show, and also I'm writing jokes about bird shows in my show, so I had to go out there for a bit of um, research. Yeah. When out on a field trip, as, <laughs> as one a recce, <laughs> yeah, almost, yeah, uh, and it was lived up to all my expectations. Did it? Yeah, love a bird show. The expectations are always pretty low. If a bird comes out, I'm like, way <laughs> great show. <laughs> <laughs> a bird comes out. Um, well, you have to come around and I'll show you my birds. Yeah. <laughs> they come out. Yeah, well, it has to be a good bird. Um, <laughs> But it's it's great. You know what I love about the bird shows, though, is how rehearsed the presentation is. Have uh, you ever been to a bird show? Yes, yes, I've been to a few. I've been to one in Sydney. The one at Taronga is oh, top top. I've notch. been to the Taronga one, but I've forgotten it. But I know that I went to it. Yeah, that is that's probably the best one out there. The most choreographed. It's a nice oh, view of it too, because you're sort of looking out yes. over the harbour. Yeah. What do you mean by choreographed? They teach the birds to like oh, fly yeah. in formation or something. Yeah, well, just they're trying to, you know, come in at a particular point. So, ah. you know, they'll say, I don't know, something, and then a bird appears. Yeah. Okay. It flies over. And and um, what kind of birds are used in these shows? Just like eagles and hawks? Uh, and parrots. Because oh. um, Healesville is native animals only, isn't it? Is that right? I think it is. Yes. I think that's right. Yeah. Whereas Taronga yes. isn't. Yeah, all Taronga is Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the one at Taronga, it's like they even have rats in theirs. Like oh, I know it's. I can't like, remember the rats. Yeah, they run along the back fence. They talk That's about. Right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it's How do amazing. they get rats to run along? They the train fence? them. I did not. They've got some lampreys that come out as well. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and the one at Taronga, it finishes with like you know, and all you have to do is look up, and then. Cue music. They play um, "My Island Home" by Christina Anu. That starts playing, and then you look up, and then all these birds fly over. So you have like a bunch of parrots, like galahs, and um, and I'm pretty sure doves fly over as well. Yes. It's that kind oh. of. It's just you look up, and there's just this swarm of birds. But it's we've amazing. spoken oh. about this before. I don't know whether it was the same with you, but when I went to see it, it they mucked up. Oh I, yes. So I was going to say to yes. Okay. Yes, they did, and it was brilliant. So they never go. It never goes quite according to plan. What do you mean Some, by mucked up? Well, they up? said, and now the bird will do something or other. And, the and it just didn't. <laughs> yeah. And they go. Oh, sorry. We do what we can. You know. Yeah. Um. Because there was a couple of muck ups yesterday, and it was also they. You know, Wedgetail Eagle came in, 
and it's like it'll fly in and sit on a branch and then they'll get get it to fly over to to where they are by giving it a treat essentially yeah but he was like throwing treats and he's like oh no these treats aren't big enough for her (laughs) so that's why she's not coming over just hanging out in the tree going nah come on give me more than that you can do better than that yeah um but the best and biggest stuff up Oh, man, it was brilliant. Like, it was one of those things where I thought, is this, have they trained it to do that? Because that is incredible. Um, but it, well, anyway, he, there was a buzzard, right? Um, oh, and like a big, big bird of prey. Okay. Essentially. All right. Um, <clears throat> you know how, you know, birds come from dinosaurs and you see birds, yes. particularly birds that go, oh, yeah, I can absolutely I can see, see that. that. Yeah, a buzzard is one of those types They're big, of ugly ones, aren't they? Yeah, oh, no, I think they're, they're beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, I don't know what... Yeah. I'm looking at one now. They kind of look like a brown, hawky type thing. Yes. Yeah. So this buzzard comes in and he goes, you know, and here's this buzzard and he, the buzzard comes in, does circles around and then um, takes off, right? <laughs> goes, flies over the back. So we can't see where it's gone. And he's like the guy running the show is just going, oh, she's gone, hasn't she? (laughs) (laughs) And we're like, yeah. And he was like, oh. And we spoke to him afterwards and he was like, oh, man, I was so close to having to end the show because sometimes the birds do fly out and they but they usually come back and stuff but sometimes they go oh, I might just go for I'm a done. bit of a bit of a wander around Heelsville not oh. the sanctuary bit but the town um they, they, all, they eventually come home do they know where to go uh yeah yeah, yeah. apparently so yeah so but he was like oh uh, he thought she'd taken off and he was like, oh, I'm going to have to go and end the show and go and sort that out, bring her back. Um, but then then it appeared again. So uh, it was up it, the back. Did it come do what it was supposed to do? No. So <laughs> it, it, it flew up and there was like a building up the, up the back um, and it, it landed on top of the building. We're like, there it is. And everyone pointing goes, oh, there she is. And then she flew from the... Um, uh, from the building to there's a tree right next to it, flew to one of the branches, mm. but kind of didn't make it. So, and then went back to the. Basically, it fell out of the tree, like it oh. just went down from the building, like like it was really drunk and couldn't quite stand <laughs> up, and just kept on bouncing from side to side all the way down until it just fell down behind this bush. Oh my god, was, was it supposed okay? to do that? But I know that was the thing where I was like, oh, because he wasn't reacting to like, oh my god, it was he was just like, oh well, she's she's probably <laughs> very embarrassed. Bastards, plenty more bastards dead. where that yeah. came from. But he was like, you know, she's probably very embarrassed about this right now. But um, okay, we'll just see if she'll come out. And he was kind of quite calm about oh. it, which made me think. <laughs> That was what made me think it was like it was set up. Like I was like, is this all a set up to, you know, and they've trained it to look like it's drunk and falling out of a tree, but apparently not. So what did he put down that behaviour? Did he explain it? Yeah, afterwards he just said, oh, the buzzers are, are, they're just very clumsy birds. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, yeah, because normally where where they are, there's not a lot of trees and stuff. It's all kind of open. Ah, got lots of space. Yeah, and they're just not used to trying to land in a tree (laughs) or a building for that matter. So it just kind of went, oh, well, what's this? (laughs) Oh, no, I don't want to sit. Oh, I'm just... Out here behind this bush, I reckon. Oh, maybe <laughs> was, the buzzard wasn't the ideal bird for them to put as the centerpiece of their show. Then 
Oh well, it was just a it was a part of the warm up show, but I, that was the best part of the show in my books. Um, but it was great. But uh, the um, Spirits of the Sky show, check it out; it's really good. Also, when we were there, um, obviously had a bit of a walk around and stuff, and then got to see one of my other other favourite things that you get to see at a zoo, and that's someone else there giving commentary. Oh. someone that. The stranger know it all. Mm. Yes, and I've got the best kind—the ones that just point out the obvious. Oh my god! Oh my god! This kills me every time I'm at Melbourne Zoo. There's always someone standing near me, over-explaining the situation in front of me, and I'm like, and "Shut up!" This oh, one mate. is known as the elephant. Yeah. You yeah. may see its trunk. Yeah, as you can oh. see, the men are a lot bigger than the women. Yeah, oh. exactly. Like so, we walk through the, the reptile part, and he just walks in and goes, "Bearded dragon." And we're like, oh, oh no. <laughs> and then, but then the best part, he gets, he goes, tiger snake, poisonous, bad. Oh. Bad. And he goes, you've got four hours. That's it. you got to get to hospital within four hours. Were you saying this to everyone? No, no, just to the people that he was, he was with. But I, we... Followed very closely behind. Whereas one of those people was saying, "Let me at the tiger snake. Yeah. I want to die." Yeah, he was like, "You know, tiger snake, bad." And he goes, "You got four hours. When you go to, so you want to bandage up your arm, hold it up in the air, away from your heart, slow that heartbeat down. That's how you will survive." I'm like, "Absolutely not. Do not." Oh hold no! I was like, "Isn't that the opposite of what you meant to do? Yeah, hold your arm in the air, Jesus. Because yeah. <laughs> you want to, you want to get it away from your heart. Oh my god! You got four hours. I'm like, nah, mate. Oh no." Three, triple, ah. You're tuned to Triple R. This show is breakfasters. Can bees do maths? New research shows they can add and, subs- add and subtract. That's the title of a fascinating article up on the Conversation website. To tell us more about it, we're joined by one of its co-authors, Adrian Dyer, an associate professor at RMIT University. Welcome to Breakfasters. Thank you very much. Before we get into the specific question of maths, perhaps you can set the scene by explaining what we already know about the capabilities of bees. I mean, they, they can, for instance, communicate quite sophisticated information with each other, can't they? Yeah, we're very lucky with the bees as a model. Um, a very famous researcher, Carl von Frisch, um, who won the Nobel Prize for his work, showed that they have a dance language which they use to communicate with uh, other hive mates about the source, the location and source of uh, resources. And so that uh, sort of opened the door to this being a, very much a supermodel for cognition and uh, processing in animals. Okay, and before you, your research, we already knew that bees understood the concept of zero. So how did we know that? So there's a study we published last year in Science, and what we did was use a framework which has been uh, developed for testing animals and um, what the bees had to do was learn a concept of greater than or less than, so to choose something which is smaller. And then when they were presented a novel problem, which they'd never come across before, of, for example, one versus zero, they spontaneously understood that a blank sheet was less than one item. And so it meant their brain had understood the concept of zero as the lower end of a continuum. How? Do you experiment on bees? That's a beautiful <laughs> question. <laughs> uh, it seems very difficult. Uh, actually, I'm getting slightly older, so I'm very lucky that it was a brilliant PhD student, um, Scarlett Howard, who did uh, who did these experiments. And what she did was train a honeybee to come back to a test site. 
So the honeybees, as I mentioned, Carl von Frisch's work, he showed that bees can be trained for dropper sugar and because they're collecting nutrition for the entire hive, when they come back and do an experiment and fill up their belly, they go back to the hive, give it to their hive mates, that was our breakfast, um, and then they'll come back and do the experiment again. So you can work with the same animal for six or seven hours and that gives access to understanding how they learn different tasks. But you're not identifying individual bees in that process, are you? Uh, yes, yes, for sure we are. Oh. So what we do is put a little colour mark or a little colour uh, number on their back or their forex. What do you even mean? How do you do that, though? With a texture mark. Yeah. You just hold the little bee. Yeah. You know, that, that's why we work with very brilliant young students. <laughs> with little got, fingers. They've can... got, got better eyes than me. <laughs> no, um, but, but, but seriously... Um, uh, little numbers are made, uh, so quite often for uh, marking a queen in a hive, but we can just mark individual forager bees and then we know their exact learning profile. So the bees, are, they're flying off, they've got numbers on their back, they come to you, they have a drink of sugary water, then what happens? And so then we start the learning. So it's a bit like when we were back in uh, elementary or primary school, we will show them um, some stimuli and they have to learn to solve the problem. And the very interesting thing is they learn actually quite quickly. So previously we've been able to show they can learn to code human faces. Um, uh, people like uh, Shei Wu Zhang and Professor Srinivasan show they can navigate mazes and do a lot of very complex things. Wow. Uh, okay, now is this unexpected? I mean, uh, do, uh, can any other insects do this and why should something as small as a bee with presumably a fairly small well, a tiny little brain have the capability to do perform abstract abstract calculations like mathematics look the work is uh, somewhat surprising and groundbreaking that's why it's got in uh, journals like science and science advances so if we went back maybe 10 or 15 years it was pretty well accepted that to do uh, mathematical operations you needed a look at the size of our brain you needed a human brain and then a few studies started coming out going well some other primates can do this and then alex the the parrot everyone can can google alex the parrot was a very cool bird it could do some mathematics and then a study showed spiders could do addition and subtraction so we've kind of been working from a huge primate brain which we're lucky to have down the spectrum and we thought because the bee is accessible as shown by Carl von Frisch for getting experimental data we better test this and um, so we now know it's true in the honeybee for other insects we have no knowledge at the moment but part of that is because of access so you need a way to be able to test the animal to get very robust data Mm. And was if you were testing individual bees, was there variation between the individuals? Were some bees better at maths than others? Yeah, it's a beautiful question. So um, we've shown that in a variety of different studies now that there are different individuals who are learning in different ways. And um, that actually, when we do computer modelling to understand that, that variability is quite important to the hive. So one way that happens is what's called a speed accuracy trade-off. Some bees are very picky and very accurate. Some bees just go faster. And actually, if you look at nutrition collection across the entire hive, that might be optimal. Start of spring, lots of flowers out, just go for it. Later in the year... 
then there's some flowers which are not rewarding. Being a bit more careful is actually uh, optimal. And so across the hive, having a diversity of different uh, uh, personalities, if you like, is optimal for survival. You need jocks and nerds. Um, yeah, not so, many, not, 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 not so many jocks. All, all the foragers are, uh, are female bees. They, they do all the hard work. All right. Females can be jocks as well. <laughs> uh, have you ever been able to test the queen bees? Um, and if so, you know, are they smarter or can they do more than the other bees? So the queen bee, certainly our lab hasn't, so I can't speak for the entire bee community because mm-hmm. there's many great researchers around the world. Um, we've never done any direct work on um, honeybee queen. Mm-hmm. The reason for that is she's responsible for maintaining the hive and she'll do that yeah, with right. her pheromones. And if you take her out of a system, the structure will break down and they'll have to create a new queen. And so there's not good experimental access. Okay. Um, so n- not, I'm not aware of any... Um, big studies on that because it would just be very difficult. Yeah. She's not coming out to drink the sugar water. Nah, I know. <laughs> it's been brought to her. Um, there's, there's been great work, um, like Alison Mercer in uh, in New Zealand, she does work on queen pheromones and oh. doing some testing of how that happens, but not so much the cognitive aspects. Oh, so what are the implications of this then? I mean, I would have thought on all sorts of different levels. Like we were accustomed to thinking of insects as just being... You know, okay, we know they're alive, but only sort of barely alive. Nobody thinks twice if you squash a bug or anything. I mean, if we're starting to realise that actually they have these capabilities, what follows from that? Yeah, one of the implications we draw from that, and this is our hypothesis framework. So we we get implications from a study, and to confirm or test that, we'll require more studies. Um, but because uh, an insect with a fairly small brain, less than a million neurons, can perform these cognitive tasks, it gives a reasonable in inference that maybe um, there's a continuum of animals up to the size of our brain who can also do some much more clever tasks than we expected. Now, that's, that's a hypothesis framework. There is something very unusual about honeybees. They live in a very social environment and they've been around for uh, uh, you know, approximately 100 million years. Um, so perhaps they have developed some pretty special things which other animals don't have. That remains testing and requires testing on different animal models. And what are you going to test them for next? Where do you go if they can do maths? What's yeah, the next thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what, what, so, so the level of mathematics which has just been demonstrated, addition and subtraction which in itself is quite hard because if we think of oh, ourselves no. <laughs> doing addition subtraction, you see the plus symbol or the minus symbol and that's a long-term rule in your mind and then you see some elements like four and three, you can add those together, seven, or you could do four minus three, one. So there's local elements, short-term working memory and a long-term rule. What we want, would like to know next is how they can perhaps do three levels of processing. So we can do uh, two plus three minus one, and that requires three levels of processing. Can they do that? So that's what we want to do. Mm. Fascinating stuff. The article is Can Bees Do Maths? New research shows they can add and subtract. You can find it on the Conversation website. We've been talking to one of the article's co-authors, Adrian Dyer from RMIT. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Three triple R.
Arbist and West is the title of a new play opening at the MTC Melbourne Theatre Company on the 22nd of February running until the 30th of March. To tell us all about it, we're joined by one of its stars, Diana Glenn. Welcome to Breakfasters. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much for coming in so early. This is a play about Hollywood icon Mae West. For those who don't know Mae West's story, who was she? Mae West was... She was a force to be reckoned with. She was she was a woman who... Um, she was kind of first of her time. She wrote theatre. She was a singer. She was a writer. She was an actress. She, she was kind of revolutionary, and she was a sexual revolution in herself. She was. A, I, we watched one of her films the other day, and I hadn't seen one for years. And she was unashamedly pro-sex and pro-women and pro. She was just, um, you know, she was just revelled in being a sex symbol and and being uh, desirable and and desiring so i think she was kind of she, she's really sassy she's known for her bombos like things like um god now i have to think of one but you know she's like come up and see me sometime is that a gun in your pocket or are you just happy to see me all of those kinds of sassy kind of quips like when, you, when you see that today i remember i saw an old film of hers just randomly on the tv and it's kind of shocking how she's full so on she like she's so full on like we were i was kind of blushing going well she's Really flooding here. She's, like, <laughs> she's so like she's just all jiggle and sex. She's so comfortable in her body and so, I mean, sexually aggressive. Really, like she's very um, and yet fun. She just has the best. She, we saw this one the other day, and as we were all tired after rehearsal, so we got to watch a movie. And um, <laughs> she was. And it was with Cary Grant, and uh, she did. He, she did him wrong, or he did her wrong, I think it was called. And uh, she's just, she gets, because she's known for having relations with several men. And this is a film in, that was made in the 50s. So was, this sho- was she shocking for her time? Shocking. People? And yeah. sets as, because I play, I don't play, my, I play Deanne Arbus, who's the photographer. So she was, all the censors were, had constant issues with her her films were constantly censored she was and she was clever though she'd rewrite things to make it a bit sassier she she went to hollywood at 40 like she was and became a movie star at from her 40s <gasps> prior to that she'd worked on broadway and wrote in theater and she was she was also she stood up for um homosexual she stood up for black but she was a real force she was an mm. incredible force and incredibly uh yeah she je- was- Quite the champion of civil rights she as well. She really was. It, wasn't there a story when um, uh, the building that she was in in her apartment, they banned her... From having... And she got people... Yeah, because she had her friends working. She got jobs for the... Yeah. Oh, the, she had a, 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 an African-American boyfriend and That's he was right. banned. So she just went and bought the whole building. She did. She was quite... <laughs> she was quite extraordinary. And my... Because um, beautiful Melita Jurisic plays um, Mae West incredibly well and so you know she's I've been obsessed with having to do my Deanne Arbus research but Mae West was and even now you read her letters back to the censors you read her all her stuff on sexual politics and she was amazing and and we it's funny because you look at all that stuff and we have (laughs) it's funny to see where we've come and not so far you know Mm. you know it's 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 an interesting thing but to she'd be. She'd still be a champion now. of the she'd times now. She'd still be a champion of the times now. Mm. Everything she has to say is completely relevant now, and um, and she was 
Yeah, you want her on your side. You, She's pretty awesome. But you play, as you say, you play not Mae West, but the other titular character, Deanne Hubbard, who was also a legendary figure of photography. She was. What, what was she, her story? Well, her story was, so she was a photographer. She became, she and her husband used to um, take photos, do fashion shots together, and she was always sort of styling and not really doing the photos. And he bought her a camera and encouraged her to go out on her own. And she became one of the first, she was quite... She was a force in her own, and a pioneer in her own way because she was very interested in the masks that we put out to the world and the gap between the the ways that we see ourselves and the way and the ways that we're seen in the world and that gap between and to really try and find the truth in photography and the unveiled kind of the person behind the personality and all of those things and she she was she was known for taking photographs of minorities she'd go into sort of you know like freak shows as they called like you know circus performers people giants um she did a whole lot of people um she went into um any sort of physical disability she was kind of fascinated with all of all, all the minorities of life and she put herself in quite precarious dangerous situations she sort of go out at night hunting the dangerous you know the dangerous sides of new york at that time and she people really either loved to work or hated it with a passion you know a number of her exhibitions they had to um close because the photographs were covered in spit from people spitting on them like she they really because because they didn't want to see the subjects that she was photographing or because they because they got really because they got really kind of I think shock like transsexuals, um, trans all sorts. Of, they, it was yeah, really right. confronting. For, and also, if you see the photographs, I mean, I've seen quite a lot of them. You can't have a passive reaction to them. Yeah. They do invoke something, you know, and, and often they are quite confrontational, I guess. And because they're unguarded moments, and some of them are quite hard to to look at, I think, for many people. But she was, um, and then she famously she committed suicide at forty eight. But she did have. A meeting with Mae West. She did take photographs of Mae West that happened over, actually happened over two afternoons. But um, and this was quite a controversial encounter that Mae West was not very pleased. Mae West hated the photographs, and this is so we don't know anything really of what happened. So Stephen Sewell has imagined this meeting between the two of them, and so in this play we discuss sort of the idea of truth and you know and 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 what beauty is and what you know and all these ideas of self-perception and mm. and truth and beauty and all of and and sex and all kinds of things but it was yeah may west did not like the photographs and it's a shame because if you look if you see the photographs i think they're incredible of may and i look mm. at some of the other ones that are quite postured and you know affected and she's sort of doing her classic may west whereas deanne had her very still and as she, she had a pet monkey, so there was a couple oh, with her pet she, monkeys. Of course she did. Of course she did. <laughs> and, um, so there's a sense of ridiculous about them, but I just think to see her, she was 71 when she had the photographs taken, so she was an old, she was an older lady, and I don't think she liked seeing all the, all the lines. But you, walks you look and all, all the walk. Yeah, mm. but she, I think she has a great nobility in those photographs. So yeah, it's do funny. We, do we know how they even came to meet each other? And the, there was these a guy called Nikki Haslam who was working for. Esquire magazine, uh, no, Show magazine. Um, and he, Deanne kind of sauntered into his office one day and introduced herself and because she was doing quite a lot of photographic work as well as her own work. And he gave her the commission of, um, he asked her to, to go and meet Mae West. Now, in the play, and I don't know if this part is true, in the play, 
you're not sure, sure whether May has asked to have a photos done oh. or whether it was so that's and I don't know what the actual truth of that was but he because May, um, Deanne was becoming quite well known and her for her particular style which was quite unguarded and raw so I think deliberately they wanted to capture that and she did capture that but then May really didn't like it and and actually May had managed to stop photographs going out that she didn't like she was quite she was quite the censor so she wouldn't she would cr- like scribble right through any kind of proof sheets that she hated so they couldn't so they couldn't print them she was a control freak wow. and, um, but she didn't manage yeah these ones still got out there much to her chagrin how hard is it embodying such big real <laughs> characters do you know what i mean like, is it, <laughs> well it's that's the thing like i you know we've just been doing masses of research i think it's harder for may because may is so well known and she's yeah. got her voice and her go whereas for deanne we didn't know what she sounded like for a long time it was really hard to find any kind of um audio on her i know we managed to find one interview which was fantastic there's there's biographies but they're quite conflicting a lot of and her daughter runs her estate and they're quite protective of any sort of information about her so mine was a little more imagined and um i could take a bit more creative license may's there's still creative license but because she's such a she's such an iconic Mm, figure mm. it was but i mean you've got melita playing her and she's extraordinary so you're she's in safe hands (laughs) her legacy's in safe hands yeah so the play's opening on the 22nd how's it all coming together look we're in the it's good (laughs) (laughs) i'm having having issues with my camera i was like i can't do it yesterday because i'm using the roller flex which is what deanne used and um I managed to set off some self-timer that I was like, ah, I'm broken it. I don't know how to do that anymore. I can't do it. So we're, having, we're getting there. We're getting there. It's just getting to that last It's just like things are going really well. <laughs> things are going terrifically well. <laughs> we're having a really good time. Excellent. The plays Arvis and West. As I said, it's opening at the MCC on the 22nd of February, running until the 30th of March. We've been talking to one of its stars, Diana Glenn. Thank you so much for coming in. Oh, thank races. you for having me. Triple R. You're listening to Breakfasters. Uh, um, it was Valentine's Day yesterday, and we we talked a, a bit about going on dates and and whatnot. We gave people lots of good ideas, didn't yes, we? Yes, we did. Yeah, we did. Jeff yeah. doesn't like many dates, <laughs> as it turns out. Oh, that's not true at all. I like many dates. You like a, a bushwalk date, but not too far away. I can't remember what I but said, actually. No. Doesn't matter. Kath yeah. and I... I think that you said you didn't like many dates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Uh, we all say many things. Uh, Kath and I, actually, we um, we got into into the um, the spirit of Valentine's Day. Aww. And we went to the pub for pie night. <laughs> oh, pie uh, night Valentine's Lovely Valentine. Yeah. We, we didn't think of that in our list, did we? No. Pie night. Just going to the pub. I wouldn't do a pie night on a first date, to be honest. No. Pies are hard to eat. No, yes. With not... a knife and fork at the pub. Yes. Oh, yeah. They can just get a bit messy. Yeah, but you've got a knife and fork. It still gets no, a bit messy. I'm with Sarah sloppy, that. I, I mean, I like insides. a pie too, but I don't, wouldn't advocate it for a first date. No. Maybe it doesn't sound that... Oh, yeah. I it doesn't right. sound fancy. Like, no, you but don't more, wanna... more just the slop. Like, they can be sloppy. What? You... Even with a knife and fork. There's hard bits and sloppy bits, so it's hard to eat. eat. Oh, I think you just... Worry too much about eating. Oh, 
sounds. And what it sounds well, like. Anyway. Oh, this is from the person who won't eat another pie at the football because you yeah. once saw a lady at the football <laughs> on the big screen dropping a pie on her chest. Yes, yeah. well, that's fair. That is fair. <laughs> yes. did, she, did she get many dates after that? No, she didn't. No. Well, she might have got heaps of dates. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, we went to Pine Night, but it was uh, while we were just uh, before we were deciding to go. Though, uh, got a I got a text of Sarah. Sorry, I don't know if she texted you, Jeff, but she I texted him and asked for your number. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, that's nice. Sorry, <laughs> I've lost my phone. I didn't. Mean, I felt rude saying that. Actually, doing that, Jeff. Oh, um, that's all right. I was in the middle of something, but I figured that was what because I, I remember you'd lost your anyway. Okay. Anyway, so Talk I about that bit off here. That's all right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, you, I get a text. This is when we were kind of deciding what to do and there was this oh. moment of, uh, yeah, because Sarah sent me a text saying, would you like to um, come to Lauren Hill tonight? And I was like, oh, and we just we just decided to go to the pub for dinner and I was like, oh, I guess I could go maybe after. And then it was like, oh, yeah, but also we were going to have a – just sit at home and watch a movie and That's drink a nice. bottle of wine. That's very oh. nice. That's and a I, good evening in. Yeah. And so when, um, like, Kath was like, who are you texting? And I was like, oh, I just, you know, told her. And she goes, oh, you should go. Go to Lauren here. And I'm like, oh, babe, we're going. Let's, let's we're going for pie night. She goes, yeah, all right, pie night. Um, so, but you went to Lauren Hill, so tell us all about it. Uh, it was extraordinary. So I got tickets um, later than, than I thought. But anyway, I got tickets to the Festival Hall show. The Sydney My Music Bowl had sold out and I'd seen all the footage from the night before and everyone just said, it's going to blow your mind. Mm. And I thought I was just getting one ticket and I ended. I found it at the last minute and I got a second, which is why I texted you and well, I texted a, a couple of friends. Mm. Not just so everyone knows I love you all equally. <laughs> but, it was just, well, cause not, but not many people were available. It's people had plans no. for last yes. night. It was very last minute. And I kind of get it as well. It was, was going to be a late starting show. And uh, it makes you think if it's midweek, doesn't it? You sort of have to think, can I do a late night or can I not? Mm. Yeah, Thursday night I tend to be a bit more free and easy, but I, I totally get it. And uh, also it's hard. It's a similar thing when you find out you've been invited somewhere at the last minute. Yeah. But yeah. my friend Jack said she'd come. She was going to meet, meet me there a bit later. And so I went uh, to Festival Hall by myself, which was lovely, and saw Nas, who was supporting, and that was really fun. I very... Do you, do you ever go to gigs on your own? Yeah, I have done. Mm. I have done. I felt really awkward watching Nas by myself. I don't know why. I think because I just felt like a like I was... Well, you, want, you kind of want to dance to that music, but I... Uh, there's something about rap that made me feel a bit awkward mm. in the way that I was moving my body. And I needed someone else there to be a little bit more comfortable with myself. Yes, I understand. But anyway, I enjoyed it. But then, then I just ran after that. I ran into uh, Vaughn, actually Vaughn Quinn from Double ah. Bounce, and he was also there by himself. Ah, well, there you go. Lovely. Yeah, great. Someone so that, to dance with. Yeah, someone to dance with. So that was really nice. Uh, but something else happened. So in between Nas and Lauren Hill playing, I uh, went to the merch tech desk and was having a bit of a chat with a friend there. And then someone, a little, <gasps> a little angel, think, yes, go. came up and said, uh, oh, we've got a spare. This was, a, yeah, a little person. This is person. This uh, came up and said, I've got a spare wrist, wristband for you. So pop that on. And they gave me another one as well. And I was like, oh, cool. it's a wristband, a green wristband. And I oh. said, I thought maybe I was going to get a free drink. And I was like, oh, I'm driving. It doesn't really matter. And I said, no, no, no that's to meet Lauren Hill after the show. Oh, no. <laughs> what? I know, right? So I just thought I couldn't believe it. And they said, yeah, she's, she's doing signings for fans after the show, like official merch signings. So <gasps> I think you could buy 
VIP packages where you were able to do this. Yes, I saw. I looked online yesterday. Those VIP packages, like that. They were anyway. Oh, but yeah. So I just go, whoa! This is insane. I just bought a couple of little Lauren Hill badges. Yeah. And then I got a poster. I got a Lauren Hill poster because I thought I have to I had to have something, something. To, yeah. to sign. Uh, and then I then I was kind of spiraling, and I was saying to Vaughn, like, I don't know whether I, I should. I, I don't know if I want to meet her. I said, you oh, know, like, like she's such a huge. She was she's your just, number one. Yeah, like it, just meeting her was kind of too much for me to handle. There's some people that I could meet and go, I'm okay with this. I can just mm. be like, whatever. But there was something about meeting Long Hill that for me was like a bit overwhelming. And I, I was thinking maybe I shouldn't do this. Uh, <gasps> no, no, no. I know. No, no. And I, but also because it would mean staying at the venue till about 1am <laughs> till no, about no, no. 1am oh, as well. Please tell me you did it. So... Then my friend, so so Lauren Hill comes out. The show's extraordinary. She is one of the most generous, present performers. The media has given her a bad rap in the past, which really pisses me off because sometimes she's late for shows or whatever. But when she performs, she is 120% like there for you. She had a cold and was kind of battling through that but sounded extraordinary. Has this band, has these backing singers. Um, you know, kind of reworks the classics in this really, really extraordinary way. Her rapping skills are amazing. Something you forget about Lauren Hill. Mm. I mean, you don't forget about it, but until you see her do that live, you kind of go, wow, you are you are one of the best rappers. And uh, she just did this great set that kind of went through the album and finished on two Fuji's tracks, which was just massive and spoke to us and uh, was really kind of appreciative of the response that she was getting. People were just going wow. bananas. You know, they like banged the with their feet. Yeah. It was just a Especially big Festival vibe. Hall, yeah. So, yeah. A big, huge vibe. And my friend Jack came as well. So we, we had a bit of a dance. And then I thought, oh, I've got this second pass. And I, I didn't know if Vaughan or Jack wanted to go, but Vaughan ended up having to leave early. And so, uh, so it was me and Jack, and Jack yeah. was very happy to go. But then by the time it ended, it was like nearly 12. And, we, and then we went to this area of Festival Hall afterwards. Ah. We had no idea what we were doing and lined up and it turned out that there was quite a lot of people lining up. And I thought, oh shit, I'm gonna be in this I'm gonna be here all night. But but, but oh. I can't I know, but I come this far so I thought I can't yes. I can't not keep going with this. Yes. And and my friend Jack just said, just go home, you sleep, you get up, you push through the show, which to tell you the truth, that is what I'm doing right now, guys. And <laughs> <laughs> and I so we so we got we lined up and then we got taken into the seats again and then luckily I was in the front row and they said, okay, front row first. So I was like, yes, because it was about probably oh 50 God. people or something. Oh, my God. And I didn't want to have to, you know, it was just getting later and later. But also at this point I'm like, I'm so close to meeting Lauren Hill. Then we got taken backstage and they said, you know, no phones out, can't take any photos. And we got to this little backstage area and there was all these people hanging out. So Sampa the Great was there because she'd supported she yes. supported her, and, and there was this kind of floral wall, and there was just all these people hanging out, and uh, and uh, Sampa's dancers were there, and Arige from the rap oh. was there. Oh, so I just bump into Arige backstage, and I was like, "What are you doing here?" And she got, I think, a pass from um, a friend as well who, who oh. said come. So she was just hanging there backstage, and I said, "Isn't this crazy? Like we're going to meet Lauren Hill?" She goes, "Yeah, turn around. She's just there." And she was just, I turned around, and she's about. <laughs> Two meters away, just sitting at this table signing stuff, and we were kind of in this line. And I was, I was saying to Rich, I'm like, I can't, I don't think I can handle this. I don't know how to speak to her. What? So what happened? So, so the line takes, so it takes a little while, and then we get to her, and I give her the poster, and straight away she just kind of grabs it and signs it, like. And yeah. then I thought, oh, she's just going to sign it, and I'm just going to walk on. But then she looks up and she just beams, <gasps> and she's so just gorgeous. And I shook her hand, and then I don't know what came out of my mouth. Oh. I think it may have been. 
that was amazing. Thank you. You're beautiful. Thank you. You, yeah. You're beautiful. I think it was something like that, and it was very much. And I was shaking her hand, real like kind of like intense. <laughs> oh, I just, and then I realized I had two hands on her hand, and I thought oh. I don't want to freak her out too much. But I think it was cool. I think in my head, no, it you wasn't. said that sounds really cool. Yeah. yeah. And then she just smiled, and she's like, "Thank you so much." She was super generous, even though there was this line of all these people. Yeah. And this is after this massive show. She's sick, and and but she's put on this, you know. Oh and God, she's I just can't believe there. you shook hands with someone with a cold. Oh. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that actually, but oh, now you mention it. That is. If I catch Lauren Hill's cold, I'm totally fine with that. Um, and that was it. I just want. I just didn't know what to do at that point. I kind of wanted to be like, can I just? There's so many. Like, there's so much kind of with yeah. saying with you. I wish we were just hanging out and I could have a conversation with you. But I just. I don't know. I don't. I don't see artists um, like that giving to mm. fans very often and that kind of comfortable with it. Like I've seen fan, like fans do walkthroughs with artists and getting photos and kind of yeah, getting shoved yeah, out. Yeah, but yeah. she was just really present and gorgeous. And so, I'm at, so now I have a poster signed from Lauren Hill. Oh, and then that's I, so good. And I got home and I've had about three hours sleep. I'm so glad oh. I started that story with the pies. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the best bits of The Breakfasters from 3RRR. 